So as, as Joey's handing some out there, I just want to, to give kind of a brief explanation of, uh, of what we're doing and about the sermon. Um, we, we do this, um, I think the idea and the goal was to do this once a year, but uh, time slips away from us. And, and, uh, we, but we do want to take Sundays every now and then uh, to preach through the covenant, uh, our church covenant, um, just as a, as a way of reminder of what it is that we are covenanting together to do. Um, as a reminder of what are the things that, that we believe uh, and, and how we are called to live together um, as followers of Christ. And if, you are, if you're visiting with us today, um, we hope that you um, gain an understanding of what it is that we believe, um, what, our, what our guiding principles are, uh, what our convictions are uh, in regarding to how we live, but, but not just those things. Um, we, we hope that you gain a better understanding of who God is uh, what He has done and how it is that we are to respond to that, what He has told us, um, and, which is the appropriate way to, to live in light of what He has done. And so um, I want to start off just by defining what a, a covenant is. Uh, and it's just simply a, a pledge or a promise made between two or more parties with the idea of, of carrying out uh, certain actions or duties. That definition, when I, when I read that, to me it sounds a little bit too much like the word that we would use for a contract. But a covenant's, covenant's not just a contract. It's similar, um, but, but a contract, that's going to be a little bit more of a, a legal business term uh, than a covenant. Um, Timothy Keller, he's speaking of a, of a marriage covenant. He says that it is a relationship far more intimate and personal than a merely legal business relationship. Yet at the same time, it is far more durable, binding, and unconditional than one based merely on feelings and affection. A, coven, a covenant relationship is a stunning blend of law and love. And I thought that was a pretty good definition. A covenant, is, it's, a, it's a promise and it's a pledge that we are, we're making to, at least to strive to, to live out these principles that we find uh, in Scripture. But it's very relational. It's not just... Some, some mere contract between, between two or more parties. It's, it's very relational, has a very relational aspect to it. And we see uh, covenants all throughout Scripture. Um, we see covenants between man and God. We all know of the, the covenant that God made with, with Noah and all the living creatures, um, Noah's descendants uh, that he made to, to never cut off flesh um, or never to flood the earth again. We see, we see God's promise there, that covenant displayed in the rainbow. Um, the, the promise to never flood the earth again. And so every time that we see sunshine and rain, we can look at the sky and see God's promise or His covenant with us to never destroy the earth again. Uh, we see God's covenant with, with Abraham to bless him and, and give him many, many descendants. And, and we've gone through uh, a, a, the covenant with Abraham in depth for So I won't go into a lot of detail on these, but we do see God's covenant with David, uh, that his descendant would rule forever. And we see that fulfilled in Christ Jesus. And then we see uh, the new covenant promised in Jeremiah that, that God would place His law on our hearts. Uh, and, and Jesus spoke of this uh, at the Last Supper. He said that His blood uh, was the, the blood of the new covenant that was being poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And so we, we see a lot of examples of covenants in Scripture, uh, primarily the most important ones between God and man. But we also see some covenants between individuals. Jonathan made a covenant with David. Uh, just to express his, his love uh, for David. As I've already said, we see um, marriage covenant in Malachi 2. Uh, God speaks to the men of Israel uh, and he confronts them saying, says, you have been faithless to the wife of your youth, though she is your companion in your wife by covenant. 
So covenant is that, that promise or a pledge. We see those in, in marriage vows. Uh, that's probably the most uh, common covenant that we're used to seeing these days is, is, the, is the marriage covenant or the marriage vows. And, and we here at Corinth um, covenant together to, uh, to strive at least to live out principles that we find in Scripture. Um, and like I said, why, why a covenant, why a covenant is um, simply to, to make a promise or a pledge to one another uh, to hold fast first to the doctrinal statements. And then on your covenant, if you look at the front page of that, the covenant, it is, uh, we see doctrinal statements there. Um, and uh, let me grab one. Joey, did you grab mine? Did you grab my copy? Yeah, all right. Um, yeah, there's, we see doctrinal statements there on the front and even spilling over to the, to the second page. Uh, but then we also see uh, the, the promises there um, to, to live out the Christian faith with one another as we are called to do uh, in Scripture. And, and one of the things that I, that I wanted to talk about briefly is, is we live in our, our current culture, uh, kind of the spirit of the age that we all live with and we all have aspects of this in us is, is one of consumerism. And we tend to think of our relationships as, as because we're such consumers of things, we tend to think of our relationships of what we can get out of those relationships and how we interact with those relationships or relationships. It's like, what is this relationship bringing to me? And we view that in, in most everything. Uh, that's, just, that's just the society that we live in. That's the spirit of the age, if you will. Um, and this, this, reflects our, this affects our relationships, uh, not, not only with each other, but also with God. Sometimes we have to be careful to not say, what am I getting out of this relationship with, the, uh, with our Lord? Um, but um, it's, it's, we, we have to be careful to guard against that. And, and in a covenant, we're not looking at what we can get out of these relationships. We're not looking at what we can get out of this church um, so much as, as we are looking to what we can put into our relationship um, with Christ, uh, with our Lord, uh, and with our brothers and sisters here in, 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 at Corinth. Um, it's, a, it's a pledge uh, to, at the very least, strive to hold to the commandments and exhortations that we see in Scripture, uh, that we strive to live out to what God has called us to do, uh, and and I, I read there in, in Ephesians 4 uh, that, that we are to strive or we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. So this covenant is a, is a promise or a pledge to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. Um, and to those who have been called, uh, we have been called. And this, this was really convicting for me because this is uh, God, God really... Um, hit me on this one, but just thinking through this, what have we been called to? Um, we've been called not just to receive, thinking of the consumer aspect, because I mean, we have been called to receive hope and grace and mercy and love and forgiveness and fellowship. We, that is definitely part of, of our calling, but we've not just been called to receive hope and grace and mercy and love and forgiveness and fellowship with God, but we have also been called to give grace and mercy and to give forgiveness and to show love and to share the gospel with others and to fellowship with one another. And so we're going to covenant uh, together. We have already, and we're today, you know, like I said, we're just taking this time to, uh, to remember what we have pledged and promised to do together. Um, and if you are, I know that we've gone through uh, the covenant course a, a couple of times or class a, covenant, uh, a couple of times. And so if you have not, um, if you've not signed the covenant and you've not uh, joined in, in covenant membership with us, uh, I want to, to ask you to, uh, to take this home and to prayerfully consider what it is that, that you are promising and what we are promising to do 
Uh, there's, there needs to be a seriousness about this. Um, and it's, it, it's probably going to be very convicting uh, because when you read through this, um, we see how, how much we fail uh, in this. Um, so go ahead and say, I'm, I'm, I'm not great at, at keeping these promises. Uh, but um, this is what we're going to strive to do. This is what God has called us to do. He has made us holy and blameless in Christ Jesus. And he calls us to live holy and blameless lives. And that's what these, these statements on this covenant uh, summarize, is what it looks like to live that holy and blameless um, life that, that we have been called to. So I do want to take the time um, to, to kind of read through the covenant, uh, at least in part. You're going to be able to see all of it there. Um, uh, so let's, let's do that. Let's read through the covenant. It says, in agreement with the following doctrinal statements, and then it lists eight statements. Flip over to the back. So in agreement with the following doctrinal statements, and I'll come back to these, but in agreement with the following doctrinal statements, first, right under where it says number eight, and it says having experienced personal salvation. So I'm going to pick back up there. In agreement with the following doctrinal statements and having experienced personal salvation through the repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ and having followed Him in obedience through baptism by immersion, do covenant together here at Corinth Baptist Church through the aid of His grace. And then we covenant together to humbly submit, to love God. So let me read through all of it. I just wanted to kind of get the flow of the, of the text of the covenant. In agreement with the following doctrinal statements, number one, the Word of God, we believe that the Bible is the Word of God, fully inspired and without error in the original manuscripts, written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and that it has supreme authority in all matters of faith and practice. We believe that there is one living and true God, eternally existing in three persons, that those are equal in every divine perfection and that they execute distinct and harmonious, but distinct but harmonious offices in the work of creation, providence, and redemption. We believe in God the Father, an infinite personal spirit, perfect in holiness, wisdom, power, and love. We believe that He concerns Himself mercifully in the affairs of men, that He hears and answers prayer, and that He saves from sin and death all who come to Him through Jesus Christ. We believe in Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son, conceived by the Holy Spirit. We believe in His virgin birth, sinless life, miracles, and teachings. We believe in His substitutionary, atoning death, bodily resurrection, ascension into heaven, perpetual intercession for His people, and personal visible return to earth. We believe in the Holy Spirit who came forth from the Father and, from, and the Son to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment and to regenerate, sanctify, and empower all who believe in Jesus Christ. We believe that the Holy Spirit indwells every believer in Christ and that He is an abiding helper, teacher, and guide. We believe that all men are sinners by nature and by choice and are therefore under condemnation. We believe that those who repent of their sins and trust Jesus Christ as Savior are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. We believe in the universal church, a living spiritual body of which Christ is the head and all regenerated persons are members. We believe in the local church consisting of a community of believers in Jesus Christ, baptized on a credible profession of faith and associated for worship, work, and fellowship. We believe that the Lord Jesus Christ has commanded two ordinances to the local church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. 
we believe that Christian baptism is the immersion of a believer in water into the name of the triune God. We believe that the Lord's Supper was instituted by Christ for commemoration of His death. We believe that these two ordinances should be observed and administered until the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And having experienced personal salvation through the repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ, and having followed Him in obedience through baptism by immersion, we do covenant together here at Corinth Baptist Church through the aid of His grace to humbly submit ourselves to God, His Word, and to one another, to love God with our whole being, to love one another with the same unselfish, sacrificial, and serving love that we have experienced from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to diligently preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, to carefully guard one another's soul through prayer, encouragement, and gentle correction when necessary due to open disobedience to the Word of God, to maintain moral purity in our personal lives and in our marriages, to pursue a life that is free from the love of money and possessions, to faithfully meet together, and to advance the kingdom of God by making disciples in the various opportunities given to us by God. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Okay, so let's start, um, flip back over, and let's look at a few of these uh, statements of doctrine. So these, these statements of doctrine, these are just the core beliefs um, of Corinth uh, Baptist Church. These are the, the principles that we find in Scripture, um, and these are the, the doctrines that all covenant members of Corinth Baptist Church um, believe and hold in high esteem. Uh, and actually, in order to be a covenant member of, of Corinth Baptist Church, you must accept and be in agreement with these statements. So let's look. I'm not going to go through... Um, all of these in detail, uh, and that'll be the same for the... Uh, I, I, this is kind of broken up into to doctrinal statements, and when I teach through the Covenant, uh, the covenant uh, New Members class, the Covenant class, uh, I look at this as, as we have our doctrinal statements, the first half of the Covenant, and then we have our statements of duty, uh, the things that we are called to, the second half. And so I'll, some of these I'll expand on a little bit. Others, I'm just going to provide scriptural evidence and let Scripture say what Scripture is going to say about it. Uh, because we don't, we don't really have time to run through uh, every single uh, one of these in, in great detail and, and depth. But um, the, first, the first doctrinal statement that we see there is the Word of God. And uh, the reason that this is first is because all the other doctrinal statements that we have below this, they must be rooted in God's Word. Uh, if, they're, if they're not rooted uh, in God's Word, they can be uh, formed of man's own ideas or opinions or the way, like when we look at, at, at God and His character, uh, who He is, we have to look at His Word and what He says about who He is and not what we want Him to be or what we want to, to make Him out to be. Uh, and it's, it's really difficult because we do, we come to, to Scripture uh, bringing things uh, to, you know, to, uh, to Scripture. And it's, sometimes it's difficult for us to look clearly, objectively uh, at Scripture, but we do strive to do that. Uh, and, and we must ground everything that we believe in Scripture. And so that's why it's first. Um, if we don't, we run the risk of, like I said earlier, formulating a God that we want Him to be uh, without trusting what God has said about Himself. And um, in 2 Timothy, if you, and you might want to just grab a pencil in the back of that um, budget that we have there. And, and if you want to go back and read these on your own, just jot down the, the Scripture references that I'm giving out here. Um, so in 2 Timothy 
chapter 3, verse 16. Well, yeah, verse 16. Uh, we see that all Scripture is breathed out by God, um, and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And in verse 17, uh, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And we know this. This is something that we know. I'm so thankful. Um, I think uh, me, Joey, and Hannah were talking last Sunday before church, just how thankful we are of what God has done um, in this church really to convict our hearts. And that, that took place years ago to convict our hearts about really turning and seeing what does God say about himself and what he has called or how he has called us to live uh, and, and making that a high priority. That's by God's grace that that has happened in our lives. Uh, and it's something that, that we are so thankful for. But, but it, it is. It's, it's something that we know, but we can't overlook this. Sometimes we get callous to things that we hear over and over and over. But it's so important that we remember that this, the, the, the words of this page in the original manuscript, those were written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And it is God's Word breathed out and given to us. The Creator spoke, the Creator of all of the universe spoke and gave us His Word. Uh, and and if, he's, if He's gracious enough to do that, you know, some people think that God created and just left us alone. He didn't. He gave us thousands of pages uh, to know Him by. Uh, he's, he's revealed Himself in nature, yes, but He's revealed Himself in His Word. Uh, and so we need to be thankful for that. We need to recognize that, that as, as the Creator, what He has said, it's all of it is His. All of creation is His. And what He has said, we need to be striving to, to make this, this needs to be the most important things in our life. This is what determines how we live our lives. This is what determines what we live by. Uh, I can't overstate this enough that, that, that God's Word is, is so, so important. And I know we can get used to hearing that and become callous to that sometimes, but we really need to take time and reflect. Is, am I living according to what God has said? Are the things that I'm, a belie that I'm believing, are they in line with Scripture and what Scripture has, has said. In Psalm 19, um, let me just, let's just flip over there if you have your Bibles, flip to Psalm 19. Psalm 19, David writes, looking in verse 7, he says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So we see the law, the testimony, the precepts, the commandments, the rules, all of these things, um, all of these things have a, a certain attribute. They're, they're perfect. The laws of the Lord is perfect, sure, right, pure, uh, true. And then in verse 10, it says, more to be desired are these things, that God's word, more to be desired um, are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. And in keeping them, in keeping God's Word, there is great reward. Uh, and so God's Word is greatly to be desired. It is sweeter um, than honey, very pleasant. 
Uh, it is to be heeded, and it is beneficial to those who keep His Word. There's great reward in keeping um, His Word. So the next thing that I want to look at um, is the Trinity. Uh, I'm not going to give you an illustration, because uh, if I do, I think I'll be labeled a heretic. So, um, <laughs> listen, the Trinity is just hard to explain. Uh, the word Trinity is not mentioned in Scripture, but we do see it all throughout Scripture. Uh, there is but one God that exists in three distinct yet equal persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In Deuteronomy 6, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then in Matthew 28, in the Great Commission, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name, singular name, of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So we, we do see the, uh, the idea of the Trinity existing in Scripture. Next we have uh, God the Father. I'll let Him speak to, to His own character in Exodus 34, 6 and 7. Says the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, giving, um, uh, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but all, but who by no means will clear the guilty, and he will visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. In Ephesians one. Paul writes and says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then in Ephesians 2, uh, verse 4, it says, But God, being rich in mercy, God the Father, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He has loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Next, we see um, Jesus Christ, and Jesus is the Son of God. John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, says, Jesus, He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So Jesus Christ is um, God the Son. He is God the Father's Son, His only begotten Son. And He lived a, a sinless life and died uh, the substitu a substitutionary atoning death in our place. And we see this in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It says, For our sake, He, God the Father, made Him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him, Christ Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Next, in, the, in our doctrinal statements, we have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit uh, is sent and given to believers by the Father uh, and the Son. In John 14, uh, verses 16 and 26, it says, Jesus speaking says, I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper to be with you forever. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And in Ephesians, we see that, that the Holy Spirit indwells all believers at the moment of salvation, that He keeps them until the day of redemption and empowers us to live these holy lives that we're called to live. And He does intercede for us. Um, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, 
who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Um, other scripture that you can go and study, um, just Romans 8. We'll get there in a couple of years, maybe. We'll get there before too long. Uh, Romans 8. Um, but all of, most of, anyway, Romans 8 deals um, uh, with, with the Holy Spirit. Um, next we see regeneration. Um, and and I'm, I'm wanting to, to, to make sure to take time to read number one through six on this. Um, we'll, we'll hit briefly on, on the church. Um, but, but really, one through six is just a good summary um, of the gospel that we have, um, what God has done, um, who He has done it in, in Christ Jesus, um, who we are, uh, and, uh, and what He has done for us. And so uh, this next one, regeneration, is that we believe that, that all men and women are sinners by nature and choice and are under condemnation. Uh, that's every one of us. We inherited sin uh, from, from our father Adam. Um, if you're a parent, you know that your kids inherit sin from you. Uh, and, and as much as you try your best to, to not let that sinful nature be passed on, it is. You see it. Uh, uh, but, but we are all sinners by our very nature. And not only that, but by choice too. We have, we have the choice and we all choose to sin. Uh, and we are under condemnation for, for that. In, in Psalm 51, David says, For I know my transgression, my sin is ever before me. Against you. Now, this is after he has murdered a man or had a man murdered and commuted adultery. Uh, so we would think that, that, you know, he sinned against this man. But he says, against you and talking to God, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And we see we've spoken recently in Romans 3. says, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So all men and women um, are, um, are under condemnation because of their sinful nature and their choice to sin. Um, but we also believe and see in Scripture that when men and women repent of that sin and they trust Jesus Christ, that they are born again and regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Go and study uh, John 3. This is a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to convict us of our sins and to draw us to Himself and to draw us to repentance and faith in Christ Jesus. First uh, John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old sinful self has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And then in Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are, um, as, as human beings, we do stand condemned before God unless and only if we are found in Christ Jesus. But in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation for us. And guys, like I just, um, we all deserve that, that punishment and we all deserve uh, that wrath. We all are condemned and deserve that condemnation. But in Christ Jesus, we are able to say that we are not condemned. And that's not of our own merits. That's not, that's not of our own um, goodness or anything. It's only in Christ Jesus and in His grace and what He has done. Our, our responsibility is to, to recognize it. And listen, that in itself is a work of the Spirit. But we are to recognize our sinfulness and repent and ask God to forgive us and to trust in what Christ Jesus has done. 
Um, the next thing is, is the church um, and the ordinances. Um, I'll let you just read through those for the sake of time. Uh, let's flip over to, to the backside and look now at these uh, statements of, of duty or what it is that we are promising and pledging to do uh, in this covenant. And I want to note that this is not something that we have the ability to do in ourselves. We have to have the Spirit of God living inside of us to, to help us um, accomplish these things. Uh, and the reason why I chose Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 4 for the Scripture reading, and this, I probably could have chosen something out of Romans also, but um, the structure of our, as I said earlier, the structure of the covenant is you have your doctrinal statements first, and then you have statements of commands or exhortations on the second half of the covenant. And we see it in Romans, we see it in Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians, the first half of the book, if you remember as we went through it, uh, there's only one command uh, in chapters 1 through 3, and that's simply to remember. That's the only command. Everything else is just who God is, what God has done, who you were before Christ, and who you are in Christ. It's all just doctrinal statements because Paul knows, Paul's wanting us to see and understand in that, that like we have to make sure that our doctrine and our understanding of who God is and what God has done and who we are and, and who we are apart from Christ and then who we are in Christ. If we don't understand those things, we're not going to be able to live out the things that we're called to live. We are holy and blameless in Christ. Now we're called to live holy and blameless lives. Um, he, he has called us to that and He has given us a status of holy and blameless, but we also are to try to, to live that out. Um, Joey's first sermon, I told Joey I was going to reference the last time that, it, I think it was the last time that you preached it, uh, but it was either the, one of the times that Joey has preached through this, uh, he made uh, some important comments that stand over all of these covenants. And so the next things that I'm about to say, I'm just quoting uh, Joey. I want to make sure to give uh, the credit where it's there, where it is. But um, just a few important comments that stand over uh, the following covenants. It says, as um, as, for, uh, as far as keeping laws, obeying commands, or submitting to covenants, it stands true by the Word of God and by our, by our own experience that we cannot fully keep, obey, or submit to anything good and godly, and godly apart from the grace of God. The very reason that we need the gospel is that we cannot do, we cannot perform, we cannot keep, we cannot obey laws, statutes, commandments, or covenants. However, Christ could... Christ did, and He continues to do so fully. In fact, He has never failed to obey every single law, statute, and commandment of the Father. He stands alone as the righteous one who knows no sin nor fails to keep all of God's commandments. We ride squarely upon His shoulders of accomplishment, and we stand in His strength and rest in His obedience. And guys, that's, that's so important, and that's hard for us to, because... We, we have a tendency to want to, to rest in what we are doing uh, and, and in our own strength um, and not rest in what Christ has done. We will we'll look and, uh, and, and say, question whether or not God loves us based off of what we're doing. God's love for us is, is not determined uh, so much by, by who we are, but it's His own good character. And His love for us is determined by His love for Christ, who we are found in, um, in repentance and faith. Um, we do not look at these covenants or commitments as something that we can perform to obtain righteousness or improve our righteous standing before God. Our righteousness comes to us by way of God's grace through the finished work of Christ. 
However, we do understand that having been born again, we can live in a new way that pleases God. And we can. We can please God with, with ways that we live um, and in a way empowered by God to pursue living in the righteousness that we have been given. So we are to pursue living in that righteousness that we have been given. So let's look at, let's look through these. And the first one is that uh, we covenant together to humbly submit ourselves to God, His Word, and to one another. Um, James 4, uh, 6 and 7 says, But He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And in Isaiah 66, 2, um, it says, But this is the one to whom I will look. And this is God speaking. This is the one to whom I will look. The man who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. We are to submit to God and to his word. And really submitting to God and his word are the same thing. Um, if we are submitting to God, we are submitting to his word. And if we're submitting to his word, we are submitting to, uh, to God. But we are also to humbly submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In Ephesians 5.20, it says, Giving thanks always. And for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And if you're, if you're around here long enough, you're going to learn a Greek word uh, that, that goes along with this submitting to one another. It's hupotasso. It means to arrange um, up under or to arrange um, under uh, God's. It's, it's really under God's arrangement. And we are to arrange ourselves or to place ourselves um, up under God, His Word, and to one another. And to submit is to, to give what you are submitting to that higher place of importance. Uh, and so we place ourselves under God and His Word as authoritative. And we place ourselves under one another because we see each other's needs as more important than our own. Uh, and that goes against the very nature of the human being. Uh, the very nature of the human being is to take care of oneself. That is not God's nature. Uh, God's nature... Um, I thought this was, this was pretty interesting. Um, we have this example in the triune God, okay? Um, Timothy Keller, he writes, he says, From all eternity, each person of the Trinity has glorified, honored, and loved the other two. And there is an otherness orientation within the very being of God. While we are very turned inwardly on ourselves and seeking to, to meet our own needs, God is seeking, the triune God, God the Son, is seeking to honor and glorify God the Father and the Spirit. God the Father is, is, has, has given Jesus a place of authority. And there's this, there's this other orientation in the very being of God. And we, being created in God's image, um, are, are called to love and to serve God and other people and to reflect that, that, very, that very nature. Next, we covenant together to love God with our whole being and to love one another with the same unselfish, sacrificial, and serving love that we have experienced from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, and so to love God and one another is the culmination of all that we are commanded to do. We see this in Matthew 22. Um, Jesus says, he says, You shall love the Lord your God um, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law of the prophets. Next, we covenant together to diligently preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 
And so, um, and, and I'm thankful that, that we hear this in our prayer. Every Sunday morning we get together and we pray for, uh, for unity and love amongst each other. Uh, and that's, that's so important. And I'm thankful that, uh, that we do that. Um, Ephesians, as I've already read earlier, says Ephesians 4, 1 and 3 says, Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. We have been unified um, as a family, as the children of God. We have been unified uh, and we are to be eager to maintain that unity. And that is to be done in humility, um, in gentleness, in, in patience and love one another. Next one is we are to covenant, we covenant together to carefully guard one another's soul through prayer, encouragement, and gentle correction when necessary um, due to open disobedience to the word of God. And so we are to be concerned with the spiritual well-being, uh, the growth and protection of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, we, we list here in this, it says through prayer, encouragement, and gentle correction. So in prayer in Ephesians 6, 18, Paul says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints or praying for all the saints. Uh, in encouragement, Ephesians 4 says, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And then in general correction, Galatians 1, 6, and there's more passages than just this one, but Galatians 1, 6 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest too you be tempted. So, so we are coveting together to, to pray for one another, to encourage one another, and to correct one another. Uh, and that's, that's uncomfortable. Uh, and sometimes that's scary. I think this is, this is one that if we, if we read through the things that we're covenanting together to do, some of them say, well, yeah, I can, you know, I can submit to, to God and to one another. But when it comes down to, uh, to, to that gentle correction, um, when we're living in, dis, in disobedience, uh, that one's hard and that one's scary a little bit. But we do. Um, hopefully, if you hate sin enough in your life, you're open to this. This is, this is you know, we, we should desire this in our life. And we make these covenants and these promises right now um, when, when we're of clear mind, because when we do get in sin and open disobedience, our mind gets cloudy and foggy. So we make these promises now and we understand, hey, we, we've made this promise now. Um, and, and if I do live in, in, in open disobedience, in signing this, I'm giving permission to my brothers and sisters to come to me gently and to call me to repentance because that's what we should desire in our life is holy living. We should hate sin. And if we're living in sin, we want our brothers and sisters to come uh, and to gently correct us and to, to help us um, recognize that sin in our life and to walk away from it. Um, next, we covenant together to maintain moral purity in our personal lives and in our marriages. Uh, moral purity is God's will for our lives. First Thessalonians 4, 3-7 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Can't get much more plain than that, right? That's the will of God for your life. That each of you, uh, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, 
uh, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us to impurity, but to holiness. Next, we covenant together to pursue a life that is free from the love of money and possessions. Uh, life is more than money. In Luke 12, 15, and he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Uh, and having riches, uh, I will say that, that having riches and possession is not necessarily a sin in itself, but desiring to have riches and possessions is a sin. 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10 says, But those who desire to be rich fall into to, in temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And guys, this, this is one that we all have to be so, so careful of because I think that it's, it's sneaky. We don't even necessarily realize um, our desires. And so, um, like, it's, it's easy. I think it's easier to recognize um, when, when we're being tempted um, in sexual immoral sin. But the sin of just, like, desiring and covetousness and, and not being content with, with, with what we have and what God has given to us, uh, that desire is, is, I think it's sneakier, and it, it can creep into our lives easier than we realize um, but verse 10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith, faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Uh, and our hope is not in the riches of this world. Uh, our hope is in God. It's not in the things uh, that we have here. Um, 1 Timothy, again, 1 Timothy 6, this time verses 17 and 18. As for the riches of this present age, charge them uh, not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. So our, our, our hope is, is in God Himself and not in, um, in, uh, in riches of this world. Next, we see uh, that we covenant together to, to faithfully meet together. Uh, the Christian life is, is one of communion with one another. Uh, and togetherness, not of separation and seclusion. Some people will say, well, I'm, I can be a Christian and go out and worship God on, on the lake or whatever. That's not what God has called us to do. God has called us to, uh, to be together uh, in a life uh, with one another. He's called us to communion with each other and to togetherness. In Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, it says, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and to good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Look, if we, if, if we are called to stir one another up in love and to good works, uh, if we're called to encourage one another, like, we can't do that if we're not meeting together. And this, this is not just, it's not just showing up on Sunday morning. It's not what this is talking about, just showing up to a church service on Sunday morning. That's definitely part of it. Uh, and worshiping God corporately it's so very important, but it's not just meeting together, coming to church, because I worry that, that we can sneak in, sit there, not interact, not have Christian fellowship with one another, and then sneak out and never really be a part of each other's lives. I'm thankful uh, that I don't think that's much of an issue here at, at Corinth. Uh, Joey talks about that often, that, that we do have something special here. And I have friends that go to other churches uh, and they've not even visited here much, but they'll say, man, like, I, I see what you guys have, and y'all have got a familiness to you 
that they desire to see in their own church. And so we are blessed in that. We really are that God has allowed us to, to be such a part of a family. And I want to encourage us too, though, in that, um, that as we see, and, I, and, and, and I, I recognize this, but as we see others uh, coming in, um, we need to make sure that we are reaching out and trying to be in fellowship uh, and communion uh, with one another uh, and, and, and welcoming people and, uh, and, and investing in them. Um, but we are to, to serve one another and we are to worship to God, uh, worship God together. Uh, we are to faithfully meet together. And then the last one, we, are, we do covenant together to advance the kingdom of God by making disciples in the various opportunities given to us by God. Uh, the focus of our work in this world, what our main focus should be, and I know that we get distracted. I am the worst about getting distracted at this. Uh, but, but our primary focus in this world is the advancement of God's kingdom so that He's glorified and that others are reconciled to God and are known by Him. And guys, like I said, I, like I'm the world's worst about getting distracted uh, in this. But everything that we do in our jobs, in our extracurricular activities, everything we do, we need to do it with the view of advancing God's kingdom seeing Him glorified and seeing others brought into His kingdom. Matthew 28, the Great Commission says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them or baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son of the Holy Spirit. And as a church collectively, Philippians 1.27, Paul says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit. He's talking to them collectively here, standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So this, again, this also is not individual. This is not an individual thing, but collectively we as a family should be striving side by side and working together for the faith of the gospel. Um, our mission and our message is one of reconciliation uh, of God to people, or, um, of people to God. Second Corinthians five, eighteen and 20, 18 through twenty says, "All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself." So we have been reconciled um, uh, through Christ uh, to God. He reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So that's our ministry. Also, it's, it's a ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And that's amazing that God would take these people who are completely sinful by nature, who are by their very nature rebels against God, and He would, he would save them? And he would make them a part of his family. And then he would give them the opportunity to advance that kingdom, to go out and to, uh, to have that, that ministry and that message of reconciliation. Uh, it's just it's beautiful that God would allow us to be a part um, of his mission. right? Uh, and, and lastly, in this, we covenant together to advance God's, um, God's kingdom, um, but... But we're not alone in this mission. And I do want to include that. In the, in the Great Commission, he says, Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Um, and so we know that God is with us uh, in, uh, in this effort to, to advance His kingdom. 
and, and, and we can. We, if, if we walk humbly with our Lord, um, we can carry that message of reconciliation uh, to a lost and dying world. So, in conclusion, I just want to this, have this statement. While, while we strive to live out these commandments, we do recognize that we are not yet perfected and glorified, and therefore we will fail at keeping them holy. Uh, W-H-O-L-L-Y. Completely. But we rejoice uh, in Christ Jesus and glorify and praise Him because He did live perfectly in every single way, completely trusting and pleasing the Father in all manners, uh, that, he, that it is in Him that the righteous requirements of the law are fulfilled in us. We also rejoice in the fact that He that as regenerated children of God, we have the Holy Spirit to help us in our weakness and empower us uh, to be able to keep these promises and this covenant. So um, let me encourage you to take the covenant home, uh, read over this covenant, uh, spend time with your family uh, looking through this covenant and praying over the, co- the covenant, discussing it to one another, uh, with one another. Uh, and don't take, don't take it lightly, um, uh, but... but but really spend time in prayer and, and reading through it and thinking about it. Uh, and, and we do. Uh, if you've never signed the covenant before and you've gone through the new members classes, we do ask and, and we hope that you will uh, join us uh, and, and, and covenant together with us um, so that we can, we can walk alongside one another. Uh, this is something we are doing together. We do covenant together here at Corinth Baptist Church. Uh, and we do that through the aid of His grace. But, but we do... Uh, want you uh, to really seriously think about this, and and we hope that you will um, will decide to to covenant together uh, to, with us. So um, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we will spend time uh, singing and worshiping our Lord.